Hello, I'm Harry Glorikian, and this is Moneyball Medicine, the show where we meet executives, entrepreneurs, physicians, and scientists using the power of data to reinvent healthcare. From machine learning to genomics to personalized medicine, we look at the biggest trends in patient care and healthcare management. And we talk to people behind the trends to find out where data is making the biggest difference. If time is flying by, then technology feels like it is moving right alongside it. However, many people are seemingly unaware of this current speed. My next guest has written a book documenting this phenomenon. In his book, The Price of Tomorrow, he states, and I quote, We live in an extraordinary time. Technological advances are happening at a rate faster than our ability to understand them. And in a world that moves faster than we can imagine, we cannot afford to stand still. He also makes it clear that our current economic system is built upon inefficiencies. And in a technological era where everything is becoming extremely efficient, we must change the way we think, view, and act in the new era. On today's show, we talk about his background, interest, tackle how this applies to healthcare, and explain his overall views, and most importantly, try to tackle his ultimate question, what exactly is the price of tomorrow? Please welcome Mr. Jeff Booth. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So, Jeff, you wrote this book, and I, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it came out early early this year, if I, if I understood the timeline correctly. January. Um, and, you know, tell us a little bit about the book, and then I'll ask you a little bit about yourself, and then let's go into the implications after that of, of how this affects healthcare. Because for those people that are listening, I'm, I'm sort of veering into technology and then going to come back into an economics and then coming back into healthcare in this episode. Okay. So the high level of the book uh, is this. Uh, technology is deflationary. Um, and that's not a guess. It's a fact. Uh, technology makes things uh, cheaper and cheaper, almost to effectively to free. Why you use Google, why you use an iPhone, why you use, think about the apps on your phone, think about your use of Google. Technology is ever bringing prices down. Um, and that's a giant force today in our, in our lives. Um, and it is fighting an equally giant force of monetary easing and inflationary policy designed by governments to try to bring prices up. And, and those two forces are fighting each other right now. And most of the second and third order effects in our lives, the rising inequality, um, what you're seeing, why house prices are rising so fast, rents are rising so fast, uh, is, is a result of that fight. Um, and the world will break if you keep on driving that, this fight. So in the future, um, technology is more powerful force than governments. They can't stop it, ultimately. And, and, and technology is it's moving so fast that it's going to bring prices down. And, and if you think, if you go into that a little deeper, um, it's, hard to, it's hard to realize because we've grown up in an inflationary uh, world all our lives and it's, hard, it's really hard to realize. But if you go into that uh, a little deeper, um, you realize why we use technology is to remove work. Right? Why, no business implements technology to make their costs go up. 
right? We use it, you use technology to make, your, to make things easier. And, and it's such a great force today, but it's, it's moving exponentially. And that means the debt, driving debt to try to stop that force is moving exponentially on the other side to try to keep us in equilibrium. Um, and it won't work. So tell me a little bit about your background. Tell me a little about what you've done and sort of what got you all jazzed to write this book or like what was that moment when you were like, oh, oh, this is, in, this is what's happening. So I, I am a technology founder, by, a technology entrepreneur by background. I, I started a company called Build Direct. It grew to about half a billion dollars in market cap at, at one point. I started many other technology companies. Um, and, and now I'm sitting on many technology boards and everything else. And for about 10 years, I've been talking about this, seeing how fast technology is moving and being at the front seat of that in intersection kind of where you are too and seeing it in health but seeing it on a whole bunch of different industries how fast it's moving um and you'd had technology technologists on one side saying how great the world is going to be right <laughs> um and, and the singularity folks on one side right. and, and it works and and they're right in in a narrow sense how fast technology is moving but what, they're, what they've missed is, uh, is what that means for our existing economic systems. And because no one was putting those two things together, like I just, I, I was, I, truthfully, I didn't want to write a book. For 10 years, I put it off. Um, the, I, I just realized my kids are going to grow up in a very different world. And it's going to, when, when societies fail, economics is is so important to our lives and we don't realize it, right? It's just about everything you're doing is about where do you gain advantage? Where do you, can you provide for your family? Can, um, can, uh, can you, uh, uh, and, and do you have enough of a share to, to, uh, to provide? Everything comes down to that. And you make subtle choices in, um, that you don't know you're making based on economics. And those two pieces weren't being put together. And so if technology is deflationary, effectively, people believe economics is about value. And it's not. Economics is about scarcity. And I can prove it. I can say the, the, uh, the air you breathe is arguably the most valuable thing in your life. Uh, because without it, you die in about a minute. Um, and, uh, and it's free. Why is it free? Because it's abundant. And technology creates that abundance everywhere. It's the same reason why your calculator on your phone is free. Like a guitar tuner is free. The, the, just about everything on your phone is free because it, creates, because it creates abundance. And it's hard to charge for abundance. And so, so, if, and so if technology creates abundance and it moves to free, it means if we design the world differently, we wouldn't need the same amount of work. Well, it's, it's interesting, right? So it sounds it sounds very Star Trekish if you uh, if you're a Trekkie. Um, you know, everybody's working for the better good of what's happening. But but let's talk a little bit about like you know I I I also believe you know technology is a deflationary force, which um, in some ways is is very good because people get more for less. Um, but uh, I also see that technology also has a way of super concentrating wealth, power. Well, po yeah, I, I think about it from a power perspective as opposed to the wealth perspective. But that 
you know, once you have more data in one place, your ability to sort of see patterns and do things with it is is is, a, is at a much greater scale, as we've seen from, you know, what is it, the FANG, right? Uh, Facebook, Apple, uh, Nvidia, right, and Google, right? They're they're the big dogs, and it's sort of difficult to see how you would ever get yeah displace them right once they're beyond a certain point and some of the companies you know i talk to about from an investing perspective or you know how do we get to that google level of escape velocity how do we get to that point where all the competitors behind us just can't catch up from the abundance of data that we're putting together right um but jumping back to to you know where we are in this sort of um deflationary effect let let's turn that towards healthcare for a minute and say right now everything that we do in healthcare where technology is having an impact is done say in a central location and so one of my hypotheses is just because it's done in the central location today doesn't mean it needs to be done in that central location tomorrow right which is one thing that I'd like to discuss and then the other thing is is as things get easier and done more on, you know, something like this or, you know, something like this, as you've said, the, the price comes down to almost nothing. Um, I mean, this is a medical device that's on my arm. It knows more about you than your doctor. Yes. Actually, I was talking to my doctor yesterday. I had my video checkup and I said, yeah, I just, I just did my blood pressure and it's this, right? And I'm tracking it on a regular basis that he can see a sort of longitudinal view on me. Let, let's, you know, if, we, if you don't mind, jump into that a little bit for, for everybody listening and, and sort of discuss how you see this playing it through because, you know, I've, I've, I've read a couple of things that you've put together and I think you say on folding a piece of paper 50 times we're on the 34th fold, if I remember correctly, from you know, equating it to Moore's Law. Um, maybe, maybe you want to explain that a little bit for the people listening, because I have an advantage, because I, I did a little reading before we jumped on. Sure. So, so if you fold it, by the way, this concept is so important, because it's the same thing people miss in tech, uh, technology. And it makes, but if you fold a piece of paper once on itself, twice on itself, three times on itself, um, and you keep folding for 50 times, that piece of paper will reach the sun. If you only fold at seven, right? And everybody will say you can only fold at seven, but imagine if you could keep folding the piece of paper, it reaches the sun. I've asked that question to audiences, tens of thousands of people all over the world, um, and nobody gets to the sun. People that have heard it before, some people say to the moon, some people, but, but nobody gets to the sun. Why that's critically important, most people guess about two inches. Um, <laughs> And, and why that's critically important, it's not a parlor trick. What it says about humanity is we don't understand exponential patterns. We can't grasp them, right? right. We don't, we, that's what it said, because otherwise the evidence would say more people would get the answer, right? I didn't get the answer at first. I had to look it up. Nobody gets the answer. So humanity in general doesn't understand exponential patterns. But we have Moore's Law and and I would say behind Moore's law, other technologies that are moving in exponential patterns. Right? Right. It's, moving so, uh, it's moving so fast. And if you equate those two things, um, we're on fold 33. So that means in about a year and a half to two years, all of the, all the technology gains double. We're in, this, we're in the 
steep steps now. And then in another two years, it doubles again. So we look backwards. Um, right, to look forwards. To look forwards, and we draw linear relationships. And we, so we think technology is moving fast. It's uncomprehensible how fast it's moving. Well, and it's funny because I tell people like this story because we were involved in doing the human genome. And, you know, we got 1% done and everybody's like, ah, 99% left to go. And what they couldn't see was the exponential driver of the data. And the next thing you know, like five years later, four years later, we were done. And, and I don't think people, I, 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 I don't fully appreciate the behavioral psychology that people don't understand these, this, this jumping move that, that, that seems to happen, but they can't wrap their heads around it. By the way, that's, so all the great companies today, so if you think about what Tesla is doing, he's selling you a car forecasted on that exponential. Right. That's what he, that's, and he's taking a deposit forecasted on the exponential. That's what's creating the value, right? So he takes it, like, if you think about that move, he's selling you a vision that is not possible in the current world forecasted on the exponential. But it's, how do I say this? It's believable. It's, you can envision it. And I think some of the other things that we're talking about are not necessarily easily graspable by the, by the mind. Yeah, I would say a lot of Elon's th- stuff, until he did it a couple of times, were not believable either, right? S- self-landing a rocket. Uh, uh, yeah. About all, the number of things that, 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 are, that were, were ba- if you trace back, they're believable now because he has a history of doing it. And a lot of times... He's just forward. He's he's off the mark, right? He's he's a little bit late to it, but it always comes true. So that though, it, it was, so we should discuss that, and we should discuss because that the same thing is going to come to healthcare. We should discuss why um, why we most often get it wrong. So if you fold a piece of paper once or twice, what you do is you because of the linear pattern, you dismiss the how fast it can move. Right. And so all of these technologies are moving at that rate. And I'll use one, 3D printing as an example. I'll bet you most of your listeners think about 3D printing as and it's printing this tiny little plastic piece that takes uh, 24 hours to, to because they're looking backwards at a hype cycle that because because the same thing happens on the other side you get this hype cycle because people think they they have this grand expectation of what it's going to be and it comes out and it doesn't meet that expectation and it falls apart right but but what happens is it keeps on doubling and doubling and if you looked at where 3d printing is right now actually in healthcare and a whole bunch of other things if you say where that is it's it's staggering how fast it's moving and it's going to come out and it's going to blow people's minds. Yep. And, and there's a number of, I mean, I have this discussion all the time as, oh, it, it only, it's only this good, right? It, 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 you know, that's not good enough. Or you still need a human being involved to make these decisions. And I'm like, right today at this moment, yes, you're absolutely right. But at the rate that it's changing, if I think about like, um, I was talking to somebody about Go and AlphaGo. And like how, you know, it won the first game against a master. And then I, th- I believe the second version, which came out a year later, beat the first version and never had to practice it. All it knew was the rules. 
Yeah, it, 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 took, it took a whole bunch of PhD. Uh, I wrote about it in the book. Ah, okay. And and, and and years to be able to practice all the games and all the games, and just knowing the rules, the the new AlphaGo Zero destroyed the previous best. Um, and so so that tipping point happens really fast. That uh, and so today a new scientist article came out with your doctor uh, gets the right diagnosis about 71% of the time. And, and formerly an AI was at 72.7%. And with a new methodology right now, today, with a new methodology right now, that's moved up to 77.8%. So today it's beating your doctor um, on a whole yeah. so, and, and And tomorrow it'll be 90%. And it's interesting, right? Well, there are you know there are a number of papers that 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 you know there's what happens in a laboratory and then what happens in the wild, right? Because healthcare is very messy, right? So when you take something out of a laboratory and you put it into the wild, it doesn't always perform at the same level. And you know, I always see these articles that poo-poo it and so forth. But I always you know I equate that to what happens in technology, say with self-driving cars, like the first one, not so good. Right. Every six months, every year, it just gets exponentially better. And it's not a whole lot of years before some of these technologies that don't perform well in the wild today will not exponentially improve their impact. Well, so let's dig into that a little bit deeper from an AI perspective. I'm very deep and a bunch of the top researchers are friends. Yep. So very deep in, in AI and how fast that's that, that's moving. But let's look at that um, from an AI perspective. What is, or first from a human perspective, what is learning? What What is what is intelligence? In, in, well, it's interesting. Learning, I, th I always think of learning and intelligence are two different things. <laughs> Just because you learn something doesn't mean you're intelligent. But it's error correction. Correct. Keep in mind is error correction, right? And 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 if you if you take a, a hist history all the way to where we are now, a giant boost in in humanity was when we could record our knowledge in books. Right. And that means we could sit on top of other people's information and error correct their information, right? And so so in humanity, giant. Uh, boost off because you could record and, and, and correct scientific method came from that. Right. right. And so, so in, in what ends up happening in a human mind is we have to go really narrow and practice and practice and practice and practice and practice, you know, the whole 10,000 hours. Yeah. What a doctor does and they, they go to school, what a musician does, what an athlete does. They, they essentially practice something really narrowly. And by doing that, they error correct, error correct, error correct, error correct. And they see patterns that other people can't see because the energy going into it, it's like a super highway of neurons, right? That, that they see things that other people can't see. That's what, that's what intelligence is. It really comes down to error correcting. Well, and it's funny because I've been debating on writing a book, you know, titled The Scientific Method is Dead because I actually believe that computational approaches will do a much better job of giving you the first set of tests that a human may then want to do rather than start from scratch. 
you get one step further and it's actually where you're going any anyways with what, where you're saying the additive menu the additive ability for computers to see patterns they don't they're not bound by our time and narrow patterns they can add more data sets and the data sets that they add they see things we don't see right if you say the book alone right the book alone and and some of the greatest businesses come together because they intersect two things that the world doesn't see and put them together because because we're all in these silos and we get really narrow and deep in a silo and we can't come up a level and it takes a lot of work to learn something else and put those things together um, for, for our brains. Computers don't have that same problem. They see as you add more data sets, they can see and they can see things we couldn't see because we didn't have the data. Like we have to choose smaller data sets for, for our mind to, to do our work. Oh, absolutely. Right. I mean, five, you can only hold five concepts. I think it's five concepts in your mind at one time. And that's if you're good and keep them rolling around in there until you sort of see some connections. But a, a machine, I, just, I dare say, is almost unlimited depending on memory and compute power. And uh, so, so what you're seeing is, uh, is that, so I, I use this example with our, our provincial government in BC. And, and, and I said, the top AI, the top researchers were attracted to Canada and BC in, in cancer because we had a one payer system. We had a universal health system. And that may, meant we have had heterogeneous data sets going back 50 years for cancer research. And because the, we had more data sets across, across all different population sizes, ranges, times, and everything else, top researchers were attracted to our universities because they could work on giant data sets, right? And so today, that's moving to AI research. And the same reason that creates you, what you said, Google, Amazon, and the top AI researchers wanting to work on that because they had more data is the same thing that's driving the top AI researchers into aggregating data sets to, that's where, that's where your watch is going, by the way. That's why Google bought Fitbit or the, the, and, and the iWatch and, uh, for Apple. Your watch is moving to aggregating data, data sets at a staggering rate, which will be able to see more patterns than your doctor. Oh, yeah. I mean, we can, I, I'm already involved in a, a few companies where you can see data on the back end and you can see things in the data. And you, the first thing that always crosses my mind is like, oh my God, like I didn't realize we could actually see that. Now, you really want to run a clinical trial. You want to prove that what you're seeing is, you know, can repeat itself and that it's accurate, et cetera, right? Because we are dealing with health and we cannot afford mistakes in healthcare. So we tend to be more cautious and a little slower. But the rate that things are moving is dramatic. And so I, I come to like, okay, technology is moving in direct, one direction. We can bring, you know, it's a deflationary force. We can provide services to patients that we couldn't yesterday. I mean, I don't want to say we should be able to take care of patients for almost nothing, but we should be able to look at a patient holistically from different data sets that are being generated on a 24-7 basis from wearables or, or you know, your scale that you'd step on every day or whatever that should give us almost a dashboard 
on these patients and manage them better. And, and you're right in the future, but you're jumping because so so take what you just said into why the incumbent never wins, right? So Kodak invented the digital camera, right? But the but but the digital camera competed against their film business, and so twice Steve Sasson tried to get executives to say this is a big deal. Now, going back to abundance today, I'm sure there's way more photos out there in the wild today, an abundance of photos. You probably take an abundance of photos than you did 20 years ago, right? Right. And they're free, everywhere yep. free, right? And there's lots of business models that have created new value around that, Facebook for one, um, uh, Instagram, a whole bunch of other business models that have created uh, business models around, uh, around photo, photo capture, the data around photo capture, um, but Kodak didn't, right? Because it tried to protect its turf. And so what ends, yes. up, what, what ends up happening in any business um, is, and you could say this in health today, is it, the, techno, the innovation won't reach the market right now because it's blocked by the existing market. Regulatory framework, doctors, everything else. And they're going to want to say it's too unsafe. It's not proven. Right. And it's going to keep moving and it's going to keep moving and it's going to keep moving and people are going to aggregate, aggregate, aggregate. And, and I'll give you an example on your, your Apple watch. If Apple, if you trusted the privacy of Apple's network and they asked for your genome and they gave you an easy way to do it. And they could said you could provide, they could provide way better outcomes for you. You can't trust them totally, but you would just like you to know. Would you give them your genome? Uh, well, you're talking to somebody that knows a lot about this. I'm not sure I trust anybody with my genome, but because uh, I, I basically, if it was just me, yes. But I think because it 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 moves to my kids, I'm I'm making a choice for them by doing what I'm doing. So I'm a little bit more cautious. But I guess what I'm getting at is, many people would make that choice. Yes, agreed. The same reason many people chose. To, to use digital cameras. The same reason many people are going on to Bitcoin today, the same reason that uh, many people are uh, used Google early on, right? Because it provide, at a point where it reaches so much value, you'll give it more information and it'll give you more value. And that's what, that's, that's what creates the flywheel of data capture. Mm-hmm. And, and here's, here's what I say to a lot of companies that, that, I'm, that I'm helping. There is no second best algorithm. The best algorithm consolidates information faster because it's so much better performance to everybody else that it captures more data at a rate that's that that's staggering. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we just saw that, and I, you know, the listeners might not know what GPT three is, but uh, the latest NLP system. But it it. Compared to anything that came before it, it's <laughs> it's it's unbelievable, right? I mean, and it can do everything that everything came before it does under one system. The only difference is it took in more data sets. Yes, 175 billion features, I think it was, compared to 135 million in the last one. Right. Yeah. The only the only difference. It's yeah, it's staggering, and that that's why, like, when I'm looking at different technologies in healthcare, it's not just looking at it at the 
what it's doing right at this moment, but looking at how it's going to keep incorporating data and is there this curve that it could be on to get to a point where it can either change the business model or incorporate other data sets that makes it a better predictor of what I'm trying to do next, whether it's design a drug or diagnose a patient, um, so et cetera. Let, let's use a very real example on, on designing a drug, right? A 20 year process, why it costs so much is because so many go broke on that, on that, on the way to designing a drug. Um, and it costs, it costs billions of billions of dollars to design a drug. And then a lot of times when it's that, when it's in the wild, it produces negative effects. Fair? Yes. Right. So the same thing that you're arguing that it's great today, it's not great today. It's just, it's where we know it today. Right. And, okay. and why, why that process, why that, uh, why does it produce negative effects? It's all about data capture, right? It's you, you, you trial, you trial on a small, then you get a small study and, and those people aren't a wide enough reference group because your genome is different than somebody else's genome. You eat different, you have a different environmental exercise patterns and everything else, trial, trial, tri trial. And they don't get enough people with right. the variation and it, it reaches the wild. And when it reaches wild with a whole bunch of different variation, problems, right? That's, that's the existing course. So why wouldn't AI be able to solve that better? Uh, well, I believe that it is, but I also believe that it's not fully developed for all the different applications that we want it to do. I agree. Right? I told, I, I, like, we're not there yet. But, yeah. but in concept, it's just data. The, the, re I, I, the reason the drug shows up differently for you as it does for me is our data, our individual data is different. Yes. And and so, I, I you know, I would... You know, I've, I've, I've interviewed quite a few people for the show in this area and I've talked to people and I, you know, delve into this and we invest in this and there's a lot of variables still. And to be quite honest, we haven't graduated enough people that speak the language of AI as well as understand the biological side of it, right? Because the data in is critical to the analytics that are going to happen on the other end. So it's moving, but it's not moving, say, as fast as everybody would like it to. But there are some startups or smaller organizations that are doing amazing work. And my bet would be more on the little guy than it would be on the big guy. I, I wish that that was true. Um, but I suspect the so that, um, by the way, I'm invested in a couple of areas that here, uh, here as well, plant health, everything else that's using staggering AI to do the same thing. It's just a feedback loop. And once you crap capture enough, what, what can be done when you see the, when you see the performance, the difference, um, that I'll give you one example, Terramera company, most of the team was, uh, was PhDs, um, and, uh, and, and researchers kind of plant in, in, in plant biology as they added AI and everything else, it's moving so much faster. Right. And the, uh, the, the scientists are actually helping inform the AI early on, and then the AI breaks loose, and it feeds back, and it feeds back, and it, feed, it feeds back. So some of the 
some of the performance, what you see in it is incredible. But the same thing is going to be applied to health and it's going to be the intersection of science and, and AI. And all of this is going, all of the science is going to train the AI. Right. These data sets. And then you're going to add more data sets um, and it's going to break loose. I believe though, um, likely because it's such a big industry and it's such a standard that, that it's going to be Amazon, Google, uh, Apple that are, they've been moving here for a long time and putting together some of the big pieces to be able to move here. And so I, I think that they will probably consolidate some of the smaller companies with, um, with before those smaller companies can aggregate enough data to be able to, uh, to, to uh, compete. Well, it's interesting, right? I do believe that the, again, being from the venture world, I do believe that the buyer set has increased, right? Whereas, you know, if we developed a company earlier, you know, you could almost name off the appropriate buyers, right? Depending on what space they were in. But I think because of the computational side now, you know, I'm hearing NVIDIA, Apple, Microsoft. I mean, hearing a lot more names that at first you would be like, what are you, <laughs> why would you be interested? And you, you can start to see where, especially as, as healthcare moves to, from sick care to healthy care, healthy care requires a lot more data than sick care does in a sense, right? So, so, so funny enough, though, you say, what is actually a, it's, it's making better predictions. That's, and, and you're error correcting on each of those predictions at a, at a rate that humans can't, it can't do. That's, that's really what it's doing. So you have to have a, uh, so let's use Google as an example. So nobody goes to page 452 on Google. And how does that happen? How do they get to the top results and everything else? It, let's not use a paid search. Let's just use a free search. And so they have 130 trillion websites competing to get in into first results. And all of those people are, are effectively against an algorithm saying, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this to make my thing better. All of that competition is driving Google's algorithm faster and faster as all of the people on the other side are choosing results tailor-made to you, right? And, because, and they know more and more about you with each of those, each, each click. What you click on, if you, if you click on it and then bounce, it's a signal to Google that says that wasn't right for you, right? And, and websites are, are taken down and up through that thing and it's all, it's, it's all AI. So it has a response mechanism. It's a prediction machine. It's constantly evolving. And so health is the same, right? It's a prediction machine. So why, why we might do intermittent fasting, why we might do this, why it's all predicted over long periods, right? That this should work over, uh, over long periods. And, uh, um, and so, is, so are the drugs against certain diseases and everything else. And as you add up that and move up the stack, a lot of those things are going to pull out patterns that offer yeah. better predictions. And, and it's interesting, right? If you think about it, right? I mean, the, we have physicians that are very specifically deep in certain areas, right? But this is not a specific, it's not run by one thing or another. It's a system, right? So it's incredibly interconnected and complex. Um, but at the same time, we have 
we still haven't fully understood everything that causes the cascade. Totally agree. That's where I totally agree because it's impossible for humans to do that. If you just add it up, all of the the number, you know, that you know, because you did some of this work, how how many in the genome, how many, uh, how many pieces in your genome, gut biome, uh, health, exercise, environmental, there's no way any one person or 10 people or, or, or a thousand people could even do that for one human. It's just, it's just too, too complex. It's too much data. Yeah, I still think, though, from a computational perspective, I always say to people, like, if you don't have the data, if you haven't measured it and you haven't put it in the system, like, you're missing a critical piece of what it's going to take to do this equation. Sometimes we don't know all the data that we need to make that critical decision. I always take, uh, you know, uh, Joel Dudley's paper on Alzheimer's where he was able to show it was an infectious disease like herpes that was one of the drivers of this subset of Alzheimer's. It, you know, not something on the radar. Totally. It's, uh, it's orthogonal. But it actually, if you just said, say the thing you just talked about in GPD-3, uh, uh, G- right? Yeah. Um, when you, uh, it, all it is was a way bigger data set and it could see more. Right. right. And that's what, that's, it almost forces conceptually, if you were to look out into the future, right? Every hospital has its own data set. Ideally, what you'd want is all those data sets talking to each other or aggregated to get to a better answer. I suspect what is going to happen, it won't be every hospital. It'll be, so you'll self-sovereign your data and you'll choose to give it to certain people and you'll choose to uh, choose if they kind of privacy don't share uh, something and somebody's going to aggregate it up at a higher level at a hospital level you don't actually you, there's no way you could have enough data to be able to do this yeah i actually it's funny because i believe the the, the shift in power of that data because of things like the iphone are have gone from the providers to the patients so, so that's that innovation. That's exactly the innovation. Why I think it probably won't. It'll be blocked by existing, right? And and somebody's going to, as you have an innovation that becomes ten times better than the market. You know this from VC, right? If something, if you don't have a ten time ten x improvement over a market condition, it's really hard to break through the noise of a market. But once you have ten times ten times better, the market pulls you. But it's interesting, right? So if you think about about a country like China, they don't have the same problems. I'm not going to call them problems. They don't have the same uh, existing structure that we have. They can move it faster because they can just railroad it. (laughs) Right. And they can say all the imaging from all these hospitals goes to Tencent. And we can do all the analytics on it, right? So not just hospitals. How many times, even on Zoom calls, does somebody, a doctor, catch a disease in somebody's eye or 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 a lump or something like that? That person had no idea. So now, if you take the imaging, just at airports and everything else, your capture image capture everywhere can be a driver of better data sets. Yeah, I have to think about that. I'm not sure I want everything analyzing me all the time, but it's I, I realize it's going to happen no matter what. 
right? And, <laughs> and um, there are just too many cameras. And, and yes, but, but what you're saying, if you just kind of go forward with what you're saying is, if China moves this fast, and it's all about AI and, and putting those things together, then a lot of the best research or the best uh, technology for, a, for, for health will come out of China. Uh, theoretically, yes, but, 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 but scares, which scares me. Yes, but, but I have a bet. I have a bet that our creativity, um, it, it, we'll be able to hold our own. Now that said, you know, I, 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 I do believe that even for our fund, we should have an office in Toronto. I mean, I'm in Boston. It's a quick hop, skip and a jump, but there's so much going on in Toronto from an AI perspective that it's really hard to ignore. Tons in Vancouver and Toronto, and, and so it's it's moving so fast. In fact, most of the top researchers in AI came out of Canada because Canada funded AI through the AI Winter, right? Where right. Other governments, and so those AI researchers, uh, Jeffrey Hinton and uh, Benjio, those actually AI researchers aren't from Canada. They moved to Canada, take advantage of funding through where, where everybody turned off uh, turned off the funding. Well, we used to have people move to we used to have people move to the U.S. too. Now that's changed a little bit, but uh. <laughs> well, funny, funny enough, though, that that what what what's happening now in the U.S. is the thing that drove U.S. prosperity was that right? <laughs> the uh, yes, top minds from all over the world moving moving there. Canada just in one little one little, and it turned out to be a really big area for right. an AI was was one of those areas Canada did well. So where do you see, I don't know, I'm trying to, you know, project out from, you know, full 33 or full 34 and say one or two more moves at most. I'm not even projecting out much farther than that. Uh, where do you see the next inflection points from a technology perspective and the impact or implications of those? So I wrote about a bunch of these in, in, in my book. Um, and what it ends up happening is people don't see the orthogonal impacts. They look at the first order impact, the next thing that con So if you just take self-driving cars, right? Let's use that one example, self-driving uh, cars. Um, there's a $482 billion market, uh, insurance market. Um, that 98% of that insurance market is driver error, right? So, so when we compare things, we say, well, self-driving cars might make mistakes and, and it'll cause an error. Probably not at that rate, right? That's why the self-driving car companies are like Tesla is going to self-insure. And so that entire market falls apart. Um, th think about buying, uh, buying a car. Um, why do you buy a car? You buy a car for so you use a car six percent of the time. It has it has a nine six percent utilization rate ninety four percent of the time it's stored. That storage means you have two parking and at home you need two parking at your work you need all of that extra road resource and everything else. And when you have self driving cars, you might the driving platforms are going to look like SaaS platforms. If you can get a car on demand whenever you want it, you'll either buy it and rent it back to the fleet when you don't use it, or buy uh, uh, or just rent it from the fleet as long as you can have a car whenever you want. Except during Corona, where you need it disinfected. 
Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. But those types of things, so if you add those types of things, on, the change is so staggering on so many different industries, right? And so car companies, if you look at the forecasts on the car companies, they have production going up on a, on a like production going up every year and all their forecasts, their capital expense allocations and everything else. And it's all based on 6% capacity utilization of a car. So if 6% moves to 40% or 50%, car cut, they don't need all that production. It just right. completely changes. So as do cities, as do insurance and everything else. That, that's just an example, um, but there's examples. So bookstores thought they were competing against Amazon early on with books. But as you digitize a book, now you can offer an audio book, you, know, you can offer uh, a Kindle. Right. There's other formats. And, and, and bookstores had no advantage in those formats. Yeah, this is one of the things I talk to a lot of our companies about is once we have the data, what else can we do? And, 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 and the existing incumbent will, will be, take a narrow look at, at that. And what do they do? They always, always, oh, no, it, it, people, want, people, believe, people want to do this out of convenience, right? They love, they love shopping in my bookstore. So let's add more costs. Let's add coffee shops to the bookstore, right? What does Blockbuster do? Blockbuster adds candy aisles to their, because people love picking up right. movies, right? Right. And they, they miss how fast it moves to a new format and digitize. And it, it, that cost of that new format looks totally different. So the same thing in the existing format that gave them all their strength, kind of their uh, yeah, acts as an impediment. It's a noose hanging around their neck. No, it's it, yeah, it's very difficult for a you know the eight hundred pound gorilla to shift. Yeah, uh, and it's it's same what you just said because it happens so fast that the same thing that drove all their market power in Blockbuster's case nine thousand stores once and and they and they're they're not stupid at executives right they're looking out at a linear technology growth right and and then and at that time. You remember that what the internet connection was? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Take four weeks to download a movie, um, <laughs> and and then the next year you can download a movie in in twenty minutes, and their business is dead. It, it, by that time, it's too late. Well, that that's why I'm 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 always a big advocate for you have to invest in innovation so you can get a taste of what's coming. But the other the other problem though is in an existing business with margins, profitability, shareholders. You, waking up one morning and just saying we're pivoting, you've got to go down before you go back up again. Oh, trust me. Um, I, did you read my book yet? Uh, I'm I'm about halfway through it. Okay, so <laughs> I did this in Build Direct, and we were we were uh, so so the company was almost doubling every year in sales. It was a hundred and twenty million dollar. Uh, it doubled from eighty million to one hundred and twenty million, but before that, doubled from forty to eighty. Um, and I realized there's no way to keep going at this. We have to completely change the business model. But I underestimated. Um, I underestimated what the shareholders, because when you're winning, when you're winning at that rate, everybody believes in everything you do. And and so they so board says yes, all in. We're go, we're going. And I said it would take this long. Well, on the other side, on the downdraft to get to the other side. Nobody likes you so much. And so you're very like 
you have a frame of reference on what this company needs to do. And it's hard to say to, even if you believe in it, right, that, that shift, it's hard to take a, take down revenue to be able to make the, make the shift or have the capital to do so. No, and most organizations fail along the way or blow up or whatever happens, happens. Um, or they can't do it fast enough because of infrastructure and overhead and whatever it is, right? Um, and I'm watching that, like, the experiments that CVS and Aetna are doing and Walmart is doing and all these guys are doing, it, it, there is a massive disruption coming to the provider market. Um, and it, so it's it's almost trying to wave your hands and warn these people, right? Because it's one thing if a, if a company goes, if whatever, pick any company you want, goes out of business. Eh, it's Maybe it's a um, inconvenience for the most part. A hospital goes out, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, to- totally. And, and, and I think there's, a, there, there's many of them that are under lots of pressure right now. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure they fully appreciate what's coming, but yes. I'm on the board of a, a hospital foundation uh, in, in, in BC and, and, and moving the strategy to, to what, you do, what we've been talking about, um, getting in front and using technology um, to innovate in healthcare and being kind of a leader in that, bringing to- some of the top minds together uh, to do that. Well, it's interesting because, you know, I think right now COVID has probably pulled forward the technology side you know, depending on what you're talking about, somewhere between five and 10 years forward, as well as changed the regulatory environment and the reimbursement environment. So I think it's just sped things up. So I, this is something I, I talked to, say, governments about. But if you, so I, I was speaking to the House of Commons in Canada, and I'm, and I'm talking to them about how fast technology is taking down prices and, and, and what, what that means. And where where you have to invest and where you don't have to invest and the irony was not lost on me that we're talking on a zoom call to the to uh to the house of commons no one knows on has a realization that they're using the same technology and there isn't one extra job in canada from zoom eric's a friend of mine who runs zoom but uh, uh but 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 we're using technology because technology becomes borderless. You use the best technology anywhere. So what you used to do for for uh, to when governments hit shortfalls and everything else is you used to do an infrastructure project. So let's say build uh, build wider roads or bridges and everything else. And because you got a short term boost to the economy through jobs, and you got a longer term boost because it was faster to get to work and back, right? And so, so it produced a, a longer-term GDP re, uh, return than just spending money anywhere. Um, the new infrastructure is all digital. Well, but even the even the infrastructure you're talking about, I, you know, if you think about, you know, to the back back in this country, the New Deal, right? Lots of people, lots of jobs, because everybody needed a pick and a shovel. Now you look at when they when they lay a road, it's one, it's a couple of pieces of very big machinery. And they're laying road way faster and way easier than anything that ever happened before. So even on the technological front of robotics and, and, and that sort of technology to be able to lay road and, and build things, it's much faster, much cheaper, much easier than it was before. So you don't need the same manpower. And 
what changes when you know what happens with digitization, what we're, our Zoom call right now, right? You, you can do work from anywhere um, and the, the super highways become digital, right? So, so you're right on, on, on roads. Yes, in a narrow sense, it takes away way more jobs. It's more efficient and everything else. In a broader sense, if, technolo- if, if the best algorithm wins and everything is about data capture and the super highways of digi- digital, then how does the government stop that? Uh, that's something, yeah, that's something, uh, you know, you and I have talked about, uh, you know, I think we need a think tank around putting out policy pieces so that people are more aware of what's coming down the pike. And to invest in the areas that are that are going to be the best. So if you globally, no matter what, globally, that doesn't mean that there is going to be net new jobs globally. And that means our existing economic system cannot work globally. But each country, um, if you can, assume, by the way, that's the big geopolitical war right now. That's the Huawei, that, that's what's happening right, right now. But the investment in technology needs to go way up to be have any chance to be able to 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 uh, to have more of the higher paying jobs on the way as it's uh, as it's deflating. But in the end, it's going to everything's uh, moving down in price, anyways. Well, that I mean, there is a, a an incredibly positive to that. Right. That uh, if if you manage it the right way in that direction, I think we're. Well, I can't believe that this is when you and I talked about this before. I actually can't believe we're fighting so far hard against abundance. Technology creates abundance and governments. So what is inflation? What is deflation? Inflation is only goods and services go up in relation to your currency. And deflation is the opposite. Goods and services go down in relation to your currency. And, and so I, I bet you if anybody asked, say, would you want goods and services to go down in price to you personally, you would say, yeah, of course I would, right? I get more and more for less and less. And, and um, that's how technology works. That's how, but, but when you add it up into economy, people say, no, 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 we want inflation. <laughs> we want our currency to be worth way less and we want our prices to be more. It's insanity. If you, um, it, it's just, it's because we've lived in an inflationary environment so long that we can't see what it would look like, where where we wouldn't have to work our entire lives to be able to retire for ten years and hope to save enough money against the threats of in, that inflationary environment, so that we could protect our families. Right? Yeah. It's just completely inverse, but it's so hard because we've grown up in it. It's so hard to to even comprehend. Well, this is why it would be in, you know good to have like people thinking about this all the time and putting out you know thought pieces because I'm sure that it's moving in that direction. Is also there's a lot of implications that you and I probably haven't even thought of yet um, that that somebody needs to go and model and think through. So well, the, the the biggest thing is the change from one system to another is ugly. But there is no way, um, just by the way, here's some numbers, to stop deflation from happening, the world has added $185 trillion of debt in the last 20 years. If you didn't add that debt, you would have already seen what would be where prices would be everywhere. 
eventually on that path, currency is just destroyed and you're adding Sorry. way more. That was before COVID. And so, so, um, but the transition, because we've made the problem so big by kicking the can down the road, the transition is going to be ugly, but that transition is going to come no matter what. Right. So that transition is going to come through either destruction of currencies and a, and a hyperinflation eventually, or through, um, or through austerity where you go through a depression like you did in the like you did in the thirties. And I wish I didn't have to say that, but, uh, but the truth is it's coming no matter what. <laughs> well, on that happy note, <laughs> you know, I hope to continue our conversations because there's a lot to debate and discuss in this area. And I, I always try to take everything that I learned from the technology world and apply it to healthcare and all the areas that, uh, you know, are affected by a GPT-3 or, you know, a new processing system or whatever, because it has a direct implication on this world. Look forward to staying in touch and good luck with, you know, all the companies you're working on. And uh, I wish you great success. Thanks. Really look forward to keeping in touch as well. And that's it for this episode. If you enjoyed Moneyball Medicine, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is greatly appreciated. Hope you join us next time. Until then, farewell.